Happy Monday. Welcome to Overcoming the Odds podcast. I'm your host, Josh Coyne. Today's episode, I talked to a musician, composer named Bill Prokopo. Out of all the stories that I've had so far, I mean, granted, we're only at episode seven, but out of the seven, this is definitely one of the wildest. Bill's story isn't really about Bill. It's more about Bill's dad. But because it was Bill's dad, it affected the whole family. So so this story primarily involves like my father and my family. Um, I never really talked about it all that publicly before. So he kind of stuck to himself. He didn't really have that many friends. Um, you know, he always hung out with my mom and they were always seemed to be a solid couple. Then he just started seeing prostitutes. And there was one night that my mom and I were just home talking and she was like, you don't know what's been happening. I maybe know more than you think. She's like, no, you don't know. And I'm like, let's talk about it. And this was probably the hardest day of my life. There's also a brief moment toward the end that we talk about aliens, flat earth, and a couple of other wacko theories. We'll have to come back to visit Bill in a future episode so we can talk more about these wild theories from YouTube conspiracies. Anyway, have a listen. Enjoy my talk from back in July with Bill Prokopo. This podcast is brought to you by Gaming VPN. If you don't have a VPN, you should definitely download Gaming VPN. Stay secure online all the time. It's only available on iOS. Go to gamingvpn.tech. I'm Josh Coyne, and this is Overcoming the Odds Podcast. Let's first of all, how do I pronounce your last name? Let's go with that. Prokopo. Prokopo. Okay, cool. That's yeah, a pretty it's, great it's name. A, it's, it's the Americanized, bastardized version of the Ukrainian, uh, of Ukrainian origin. Gotcha. Do you, do you speak any Ukrainian yourself? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> me neither. So, yeah. Uh, so, so Bill Prokopo, right? That's how we're saying yeah. it. Bill Prokopo. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. So, um, so, so a quick background as far as what I know so far, right, is, is minimal, but you're a music producer, a composer, mm-hmm. and, you know, been in some bands, I'm assuming you, uh, not assuming, but you've had success with music on TV, movies, trailers, video games, is that right? Or just a band that played MIDI uh, stuff? It was, it's a band that uh, is very video game focused. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in the, I'll just let you go from there because I have so many questions about that. But <laughs> I can come back to that too. So, um, sure. Yeah. So give me give me the synopsis of 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 Bill. What's what's Bill like? Uh, Bill has been playing music since he was about five years old. Um, ever since I was young, uh, in elementary school, I was writing music for imaginary movies that I was creating. I was writing music for bands that uh, my sister created and then I quickly took over. Um, I was always doing music things, performing, singing, composing, um, and that pretty much hasn't stopped my entire life. And so I I do that to this day as well. That's awesome. And you live in LA? Mm -hmm. Yep. Moved here about a year and a half ago from Chicago. Oh, nice. All right. So you were in Chicago composing, making a living there. And then what? What made the switch? Why all of a sudden now LA? Uh, so it was a couple things coming together. Um, one, it was getting a trailer placement for a video game trailer and uh, realizing that 
that was something that was exciting and that I could do and that paid well. Um, and then two, a lot of the performing that I was doing in Chicago, I could move that over to LA and use the same booking agent with the same company. And then three, um, a friend of mine had a spot open up that I could just go month to month. And so overall, it was like kind of a graceful entrance where it's like, okay, like I have work lined up. Generally, I have some connections. I have I have a space to live. And it seemed like everything was at the right time for that to happen. Perfect. Yeah. And you weren't locked down because you could always go back. Right. Yeah. Right. What was the video game, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, uh, it was called Shadows Die Twice, I want to say. Um it, yeah, me neither. It was uh and it was a song that a friend of mine and I uh did a cover of Credence Clearwater's Bad Moon Rising in this kind of slow, fucked up kind of version. And we had done that for like three years before and then pretty much forgot about it. Um, but it was like just in this company's library, and then all of a sudden it got placed in this video game trailer. And I was like, oh shit, like I can I can do more of these. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty great. Uh my, yeah. my brother-in-law works for a very large video game company out there. I wasn't right. sure if it was one of their games, but I haven't heard of it. So I'm assuming it's not one of their games. It's a, it's an Activision game. Oh, it is. It is a, yeah. Okay. Cause that's, he works yeah. for Blizzard. He works for Blizzard and they own Activision. Right. So, Oh, right. cool. Nice. Yeah. I'll write that down and ask him about it. All right, cool. So you, you're in LA now and you know, working, I would assume based on, mm-hmm. based on your, your website, seems like you're a pretty busy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, so my our mutual friend May, who was a second the second guest on this podcast, she was my oh, roommate. And, yeah, yeah, she's she's great. She's my roommate in college. I yeah. lived in Chicago, and um, you know, I had asked her after the after we recorded our episode, like, who else do you have? Like, I will talk to anybody, just somewhat of meeting these requirements. You know, like somebody either has a wild story or lives a different lifestyle or just something. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, talk to my friend Bill, see what he has to say. Huh. Nice. So yeah, so she put me in touch with you. And, um, you know, your email really sparked my interest because let me, let me pull it up so I can read it exactly sure. word for word. So <laughs> let me pull it up here real quick. And it was interesting writing that email because that was the first time I had kind of summed it up that way in kind of an action-packed um, <laughs> elevator pitch kind of way. Yeah. You, I, mean, I was I like, wow, sold, okay. Like, this is my life. Like, this is, this is all real. Sold me right away. So, uh, <laughs> so here it goes. So, um, uh, crazy experience with my father a few years back. It involves money, prostitutes, a revelation, a life-altering stroke, a mental breakdown in Costa Rica, therapy, a forced co- forced commitment to a mental hospital, a divorce, estrangement, reuniting, and way too many flat Earth videos. <laughs> so, I mean, that's yeah. that's a lot to break down right there. And then, obviously, afterwards, you talked about um, you know uh, meditation and immense power of consciousness to alter our reality, which I'm a big fan of that. So, I mean, you, you sold me right away, <laughs> but now I need to know more. So, so this story primarily involves like my father and my family. Um, I never really talked about it all that publicly before. So this will be interesting. Um, but, um, and it's, and it's kind of hard to know where to begin, but I'll just kind of jump in and that, uh, I, I had a pretty typical nuclear family growing up, mom, dad, sister, um, uh, kind of upper middle class, North shore, Chicago, um, everything I could ask for basically awesome mom, awesome dad. Um, the story starts to pick up. I think when I went to college, I'm a year behind my sister. So when both of us were in college, uh, my parents found themselves as empty nesters as a lot of people I think have found. 
And I think at that point, my dad uh, kind of started to, to, to lose touch with maybe his purpose in life. Um, my mom's purpose for so much of her life was raising my sister and I. And then as we started to approach moving out of the house, she started to go back to work and started to kind of gain purpose herself. I think my dad kind of missed the boat on that a little bit. Um, he worked as an actuary, crunching numbers, kind of really just by himself in this wing of this company. He was called a maverick a number of times by his bosses, which I don't think they used in a very appreciative way. But so he kind of stuck to himself. He didn't really have that many friends. Um, you know, he always hung out with my mom and they were always seemed to be a solid couple. Um, and he also never was great at expressing uh, any kind of negative emotion. So any kind of sadness, anger, fear, anything like that. Um, he really never expressed any of that or modeled any of that growing up. Um, and I think he always had the attitude that he could outsmart bad feelings. So uh, he would he just was, internalize it all the time? He would internalize it and um, bypass it. And, uh, and you know, he, he was a smart guy. And I think his overall strategy was that he could intellectualize his life and set it up so that he would never really have to experience bad emotion. It's hard to do. Obviously, not impossible. <laughs> not possible to do, but... I, uh, I agree that that's not possible to do, but that, yeah. was, that was something that he was experimenting with, I think. Sure. So, so when my sister and I were in college, he kind of got disillusioned with his job. He started playing around with his money in the futures markets. Um, the futures markets are, are, for those of you that don't know, it's incredibly leveraged trading. So it's like the stock market, but highly, highly leveraged, meaning that um, in a day in the regular stock market, if you could lose $1,000 or $2,000 leveraged in the futures market, you could lose half a million to a million dollars with that same amount of capital. Um, so you could lose that or gain that. So giant wins and losses. What, what so, year are we talking that this is occurring? So this is before the financial crash of 2007, 2008. <laughs> as things were ramping up probably between 2004, 2008. Okay. Um, so during that period, when, when my sister and I were in college, he started to make a lot of money and he also got fired from his job. We're not really sure exactly why, but he was kind of one day escorted out quickly. And so then he was left at home. My mom was working, um, doing full-time work. My sister and I were gone. He was just kind of at home making money fairly easily and not knowing what to do with it and also not having that many passions. So he didn't, he didn't really know what to do with this money that he was getting. So he would like buy an Xbox and like buy a car and things like that, but it wasn't really doing much for him. Sure. It wasn't uh, fulfilling anything. It wasn't fulfilling anything as, as anybody that gets a lot of money will, will tell you that's, that's, it's not a fulfilling thing. Um, and so then he started to go get massages. And then one day those massages turned into massage with release. And then somehow he was just like, okay, like I have all this money. My wife's away. My kids are away. Then he just started seeing prostitutes, like a lot of them. Just, okay. And I mean, at that point he's full on into it and he's, he's full on into it. Um, I'm assuming at this point also, it's not going well with your mother. Right. Like things aren't going well there if you keep in that. Or maybe it honestly, is. He just really needs extra fun. Honestly, according to her, that time was a really great time for them. Okay. Um, 
because he was getting what he wanted maybe yeah and 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 she was feeling fulfilled and like uh i i I liken this to the beginning stage of an addiction um when it still feels good when you're taking all the drugs and you haven't yet started to come down Mm -hmm. but you're in that period where it's just escalating 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 and if you're aware enough you're aware that it's not going to be sustainable um but but oftentimes oftentimes the addictive mind doesn't realize that um and there and there's a lot of um post diagnosis of all of this from years of reflection and years of talking to my dad's brother who's been in aa for the last like 20 years Mm. and there's some really interesting viewpoints on this from like the addiction world and using addiction terminology so because basically my father was going through sex addiction sure um porn addiction, sex addiction, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had the money and resources and the time to indulge in that. And he was able to be secretive enough though. Probably a few, I don't know. I don't know at which point I found out, but at some point before we had taken a family trip, I opened up his computer at home and saw some emails that were to either a woman or a couple women about buying them gifts. Um, and I think it was at that point that I knew something was up. Yeah. Um, I think also at one point in that summer, cause I was living at home, uh, during college, I remember going out at one point and he was the only person home. And then I remember coming back real quick and he was on the phone and, and like, I could tell he was surprised that I got back and he was like trying to hide it. There was another time that he got back and I remember he smelled like floral fragrance, which could have either been a massage or prostitute, maybe both. Exactly. Um, sure. But it wasn't a normal smell for that house. Right. And and yeah. for him. So I found out about eight months before my mom found out, but I had no idea what to do with that information. And so I just buried it. And that's what I was um, going to ask you. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you cope with that? Like, how do you internalize that? Or how do you externalize it? Right. I guess you, you don't, like you said. Uh, I mean, at that point in time, I didn't know how to deal with it. And so I pretended like it didn't exist, basically. Like mm-hmm. it, I, I put it in a box in the back of my mind and, sure. and I just left it. And you're like, um, what? How old at this point? You're home from college, right? So like 18 I mean, plus? Uh, yeah, 20, 21. Okay. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so old enough to understand, but at the same time, old enough to be very confused too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and because I, I didn't know what my role was in that. I saw an email that I shouldn't have seen. Or that my not that I shouldn't have seen, but my dad didn't want me to see. Um, and we were about to leave on like a two-week family vacation to London, and like where it was just like the four of us. And so I buried it, mm-hmm. and, I, and I tried my try my best to forget it. So jump to about seven months later, I graduated by this point, and I'm now living in New York. And I get a call from my mom saying that my dad has had a massive stroke, and you need to come home. So my sister and I both lived in New York at that point. So, so we, we coordinated, we got on the next available flight. We came home. Um, he had suffered a major stroke. I don't know exactly where, but you know, he was in the hospital. We, 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 we came back, visited my mom, his family came in. So my mom's family came in and it was over the course of that weekend. My, my sister had to go back early after like maybe two or three days. And I stayed a day or two later And there was one night that my mom and I were just home talking and she was like, you don't know what's been happening. And I was like, maybe I do. 
try me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I maybe know more than you think. She's like, no, you don't know. And I'm like, let's talk about it. I'm assuming once you told her, does she have any animosity towards you for not telling her or for holding that well, secret? So, no, no, that's, no. I mean, that's great. Good. Yeah. Um, so, so then she proceeds to tell me how about a month before the stroke, she found an email, email or text, something like that. Either way, one way or another, about a month before she found out. And my dad kind of just came clean and like word vomited the entire thing out to her with pretty much no regards for how she felt at all. Pretty disconnected from any kind of emotional reality that my mom might have experienced or that even he was really experiencing. Over the course of that month, uh, they were trying to work it out, trying to figure out what was happening. I don't think my dad was really expressing that he was going to stop. Um, I think he was uh, trying to make the argument that, you know, my mom can go do dance lessons with like a dance coach and like, oh, that's like an hour with a person in a room. What's so different about him going for an hour with a person in a room? I mean, it's a little different. (laughs) (laughs) Some might say. Yeah. Yeah. So. Was he still trading futures this time or was that past? So this was right before, so this is in 2007. So this is right before the crash, like the big crashes in 2008. Yeah. So when he had his stroke, my mom had the good sense to say, let's take out all of the money. Um, Cause he had already was starting to lose it. Cause the markets were starting to really kind of dip at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he was starting to lose some of it, but my mom had the good sense to when he was in the hospital to say, we're going to take it all out right now. So yeah, that, for her. you know, good. it can't. Uh, take the rug out from under us while while he's under um, or not really there so so she explained to me that over the course of the last month they had been talking they had been trying to work things out um wasn't really going well and i think he was seeing the stress that it was putting my mom under um because to him he was so disconnected emotionally from the implications of what he was doing um that i don't think he even fathomed that my mom could be upset in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he saw how incredibly upset she was. And, and those of us who know think that that's what caused the stroke basically was that stress. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. I mean, that's really one of the many causes of strokes is, is stress. And then secondarily, like, you know, alcohol or drug abuse, but that yeah. wasn't the issue. So. Right. Uh, the, 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 the official diagnosis for the stroke was a sp- sporadic aneurysm sporadic basically meaning random like yep. we don't know <laughs> yep yep just a blockage um, in the brain somewhere all of a sudden yeah crazy yeah. so that stroke left him unable to drive um and on, on uh, the, the the biggest thing that still affects him to this day is aphasia and apraxia and basically that means that he can understand words but his brain has a hard time thinking of what words to use and then his connection between his mouth and his brain have a hard time then forming those words. So he has this dual layer difficulty of speaking. So not only is it hard for him to think of the word, it's hard for him to say the word. And that's the official diagnosis of the brain centers that were impacted. Um, He was able to regain walking within a few months, I think, maybe even sooner. Um, And still kind of one side of his body is a little bit lopsided. Um, But the big thing that that 
um, uh, exists till today is the aphasia and apraxia. So can he get the words out on paper? Like, can he think about it and then write it easier? A little bit, a little bit. Um, and so sometimes if he's trying to say something, he'll, and he doesn't have a paper, he'll like to try to spell it out in his poem Mm -hmm. or try to mime something. But anyway, so, so my mom, um, says, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with you. Like, we're going to, we're going to make this work. Like I'm going to, my mom left her job so that she could take care of him. Um, so she could drive him around. Um, cause she believed in the family. She believed in the power of the family. She believed in the power of the relationship. I mean, your mom's a saint at this point, you know, like after the, the shit she she's really been put is. through, you know, yeah. uh, to say, yeah, yeah I'm going to stick it out. We're going to make this, make this work. Yeah. Good. Good for her. So that went on for a few years. That was like, that happened in 2007. Um, As years went by, he slowly got his ability back to drive. Um, This was maybe 2010-ish or so, 2011. And right around the time he got his ability to drive and got his independence back a little bit, and my mom started going back to work, he started going back to massages and he started going back to the prostitutes. Um. Why it's addiction, right? Addiction. I don't know, but, but that's that that's that's the um that's the most likely answer, right? It's yeah. it's, it's an addiction. And, right. and once he was able to uh express that again, then then he did. There's also the big issue of like mental illness and um what other parts of his brain were affected in the stroke that affected his judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's murky because we we've still never really gotten a definitive answer if a definitive answer could exist. Um, lots of different doctors have said lots of things because then the story continues. Um, <laughs> at one point, uh, they if That's went, not enough. Here's more. <laughs> right. Yeah. So then, so then they had a trip planned to Costa Rica. There's a vacation there. I know they had to take some, like a malaria vaccine, um, maybe some other shots traveling in a foreign country. And it might've been the, the malaria shot that triggered something in him. Um, but he started on this trip with him and my mom, he started acting very manic and he would, and he was just taking his phone and just walking around, taking pictures of everybody. He would just walk up to complete strangers and say like, picture, picture, picture. And you know, he can't speak very well. So like, he's, he's kind of, he seems like a crazy person walking around, but my mom is there just kind of like watching and, and like, like, trying to figure out what he's doing and also trying to be supportive. But so then this gets wilder and wilder and he goes up to uh, more and more people just like taking pictures and he gets more and more belligerent. And I forget, I, I wasn't there. I, I forget exactly what happened, but somehow, somehow he ends up in a pool with all of his clothes on, like shouting at people. Okay. I don't know how it got here. I, yeah. I, it might've been a, a, a pool in their hotel or something like that. Um, but he clearly something was, was really happening. Right. Not normal behavior for him. Not normal behavior. I mean, he was never a violent person, um, but he was like acting violent to people. He was, he was, I, I don't even know. I wasn't there. Sure. Um, I, the, uh, the, the next part of the story is that now he's in an ambulance uh, being taken to the hospital in Costa Rica, he, in Costa Rica. My mom is there. He breaks out of the restraints in the, in the ambulance bed while the hospital is moving. He opens the back door and jumps out of the ambulance because he doesn't want to be taken to the hospital. Um, the cops are now involved. They restrain him. 
he's brought to a hospital in Costa Rica where he stays for two weeks chained to a bed because then when the first day that he was there, at some point he punched a nurse. Now, is your dad a big guy? Is he like a strong dude? Uh, he's six, four, so he's my height. Okay. Um, but he was always on the skinnier side. Sure. Um, you know, he, he was never, I mean, he played racquetball once a week, but that, that was his, like, you know, he worked out a little bit, but he yeah. wasn't a strong dude, just kind right. of like medium to skinny build. Big enough. Yeah. yeah. But big enough to be scary. Right. So, yeah. So then he's in a hospital bed for two weeks in Costa Rica. My mom is there trying to figure out what the hell is going on. What the hell happened? He calms down eventually. Uh, they get him back to the States. And then he kind of goes through these manic and and these manic upswings over the course of the next year and a half or so. Um, when my mom and him are seeing a psychologist, uh, like, a, like a therapist as well. And leading into the spring, leading into the fall of 2012, he's just on this other, uh, this other manic upswing where he's... Uh, He's calling in the gardeners to completely change around the backyard, taking down trees, not asking my mom about any of this, going back to the prostitutes, um, re keeping referring to himself as king and my mom is queen mm -hmm. and that uh, king can do anything that he wants um, and that he's king, but that he still wants his queen there. Interesting. Then it gets to the point where uh, I, I go with my mom and him to the psychologist that they're seeing. And we sit down for a session and the psychologist asks my dad one question, maybe about how he's doing. And my dad then proceeds to talk for 40 minutes. And by talk, I mean kind of incoherently ramble. Like a stream uh, of consciousness like, just out. Just kind of like, oh, and they're going, and then we go to the, but then we go to that, like that for like gotcha. 40 minutes. And, and this has been the stuff that's been escalating. And, and we've kind of been hanging out with him and like, are worried for his safety, um, especially based on what happened in Costa Rica, seeing the same kind of energy, this manic kind of upswing that's like getting more and more intense and not slowing down. Mm -hmm. um, so then at some point, the psychologist asks him to, uh, to leave the room that he's going to talk to my mom and me for a minute, just like he's done before. And my dad agrees because my, my dad thinks that all the problems that they've been having are my mom's fault because she hasn't been allowing him to do what he wants to do. Um, so he's like, okay, good. The psychologist is going to talk some sense into my mom about this. And so he leaves the room for a moment. And so it's me and my mom and the psychologist and the cop and the psychologist is like, honestly, like this is this, like based on what happened in Costa Rica, based on his like assault of like the nurse and his kind of his breakdown there, like we have to get him into the hospital and it's, it's going to happen one of two ways. Like we're either going to, call 911, call paramedics, and they will come in here and like forcibly put him down on a thing and sedate him and strap him in and bring him to the hospital. Or we can try to walk him in and try to get like a voluntary committal. And this was probably the hardest day of my life, probably still, uh, would be the forced commitment of my father to a, a mental hospital. Yeah, I can imagine not an easy decision or task. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, this, this, it, the, the way that I'm telling it might not be doing it justice as to how kind of unstable he was, but this was, 
years of instability mixed with addiction, mixed with uh, possible mental illness. Plus also anger and regret and remorse and, and all these emotions you personally have toward him at this point as well, right? For like right. what he's done to your yeah. mom, what he's done to your family and his his behavior overall, right? So like, it's not just, it's not just his feelings here. It's also how you yeah. are interpreting and, 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 and being a victim, if you will, I use that term loosely, but still in a way, mm-hmm. what, what he put the family through, right? So like, it's tough for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where's your sister during all this, at this point? She's in New York. She okay. lives in New York at this point, And I, I live in Chicago. I, I, during the years before I'd moved back to Chicago. Gotcha. So but I, I was living downtown um, away from my parents, but, yeah. um, but I would be joining them for different therapy sessions, things like that. And, and could see from a distance his growing instability mm-hmm. and just the, like we took him out to lunch that day before, like, like that day. And we're just, we were worried about what he was, what he would do um, what he would do next. And, and there was an obvious disconnection from, consequences and reality i think that was the big thing like he like he was going around acting like anything that he did would have no negative consequences if he crossed the street like wasn't looking at traffic would just go um so uh so we decided that that we were going to try to walk in it and and i said and like the the hospital was like two blocks away from where the, the 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 meeting was and so, and so I, I volunteered. I was like, if, if anybody like can do this, like I can, I'll, I volunteer. I'll, I will walk him in and, and we will, we will meet you there. Yeah, and so we, we arranged to basically, uh, that I would take him on a walk and, uh, basically trick him into going to this emergency room where my mom and this, and the doctor would be waiting and the doctor would have talked to the emergency room ready for the impatientness of it. And so then I went outside and I, and I was like, Hey dad, let's go for a walk. Like there'll be a while. The same day, like right away. Same day. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That, that moment basically. And then uh, we went on a little walk and um, it's, it's a really bizarre feeling uh, when you're trying to trick your dad into committing him in a mental hospital. That's a really weird walk to have. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm don't doubt that. It's probably it's probably a thousand times more awkward than your dad trying to talk to you about sex when you're like 11. You know? right. I'm sure it's a million times worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, and, and, and also like he, he's not just going to walk where I want to go. Like, like he, he was taking some detours. He's like, no, like we're going to walk this way now. It's like, then you okay, back like, on track. like, like, okay, cool. Like let's, yes, let's walk this way a little bit. Um, Cause also I, like, I will say like, this isn't the father that raised me. This is a, this is a different person mm-hmm. post stroke and in the throes of addiction. Like this is not the same caring father. That was my boy scout troop leader. And that was my soccer coach. Like yeah. not the same person at all, like very disconnected from himself and really anyone around him. So we took a walk, uh, and that went around a few blocks and I had to just find the right way to keep steering him back towards, towards the hospital. 
And um, I want to back up for a second real quick before I forget yeah. this. I don't mean to interrupt, but so yeah. were, were you thinking at the time that what you just said to me, like, you know, this isn't the same person that raised me. Was that in your, in your brain at the time? Or was this currently now looking back, you can understand that more so? That's more of the, the post looking at it. Sure. Okay. Uh, and and to, to help me understand the situation. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, without knowing your father, it sounds 100% that it wasn't at all the person that raised you. You know, it's the this body, but not the same mind. Right. Very much so. so Very much right. so. So, so we go to the hospital, we have to wait, like, like, like already as soon as he, as soon as he sees the doctor now in, in his coat and my mom there, he's like, oh, and like, he kind of knows what's up. And I think a part of him was asking for help Mm -hmm. and was seeking help. And, and that part of him allowed him to be convinced to, to go in and, and wait for a moment while we talked to the check-in people. And we're like, yeah, we called about like, we're commuting my dad. Um, and they're like, we're like, we don't know what you're talking about. We're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. This is like, yeah. this isn't easy. Like, I think at that point, cause he, the therapist was supposed to go ahead of you to like buffer right, the situation. Right. But so, so, so after a couple of minutes, we we're like, okay, like dad, just like stay here for a few minutes. Just like, like, just like, don't go anywhere. Um, he also, you know, hates hospitals, hates doctors. And so it, it took a lot of convincing, um, to just get him there. And, and finally we got him in one of the beds in, in, in the ER in Chicago. He didn't want like, like they, like they wanted him to take off his shirt so that he could get like a blood, like his blood pressure. They wanted to start doing these like routine kind of check-in stuff with him. Mm-hmm. And he started to refuse all that. He was like, no, 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 like, no, no, like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. And that was when like the nurse came up to us and was like, you should like probably leave. Like you don't want to see like what happens next because at that point, you know, three very large security guards walked over, um, with, uh, you know, an injection. And like, as he was screaming, no, they put him on the bed and like, and injected him with a sedative and to then tie him down. Yeah. Sure. Um, so it's also a very vivid thing in my mind yeah i was gonna say and you were still there for that you didn't you didn't leave right right like we were we we were leaving as it was happening right you're like i wish these guys gave me five more minutes just get out the door (laughs) and then you can do what you want but unfortunately now that's ingrained in your skull right and i i I honestly i maybe i'm happy that that i saw that to to really understand what that's like like the forced committal of someone because it's it's something you read about you know that's something that's in movies and tv and that's but you don't think it's going to happen to your dad well that and also you were able to realize that that's the severity of where he was right like the the need was so severe that they had to take extreme measures to make him better essentially you know, or yeah. try to get better. Yeah. yeah. So at least, at least your and your mother's efforts weren't just in vain, right? It wasn't like you took him to the hospital, you walked him there, and then uh, you were wrong because he didn't really need it. But in, in reality, right. he did. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, an, another story is coming. Just a just a tidbit is coming up through this. It's like in the course, like before this happened, we were going through a therapy with a family counselor. Um, we would have interventions with him or basically we were just like, Hey, like stop going to see prostitutes. Like, 
like please just sounds like, easy enough right stop doing that like you're hurting everyone if you keep doing this we will not be in your life and mm-hmm. like we had like an intervention with my mom my sister and and my aunt and we were all like if you continue this like we won't be a part of your life um like this is not acceptable behavior uh this is not something my mom wants or agrees to this is not part of a functional relationship mm-hmm. if you can't stop this we will not be a part of your life um so there were there were a lot of conversations like that that just fell on deaf ears there was there was an obvious disconnection from emotion from negative emotion particularly from empathizing with with anyone around him especially his partner my mom a total disregard of what anyone was thinking or feeling basically which is also kind of typical of when you're in the manic state and there and there were also a lot of different diagnoses for that a lot of different ways to yeah, describe doctor i don't know <laughs> that, that kind of thing yeah and my mom has read all the books and and oh, sure. um, and 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 did everything that she she needed to exhaust everything that she could do before it got to that point um, so so i have a couple questions for you too and i just wanted to raise some stuff down so i don't forget it yeah. but the, the the last thing that i will last question that came to my mind was you know he's going even before the stroke, he's been doing this for X amount of years, also still being intimate with your mother, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, I mean, that's dangerous for your mom's own health, right? Because like he brings something is. home. Yeah. And yeah. then if in fact, especially, well, maybe not 2008, was hypothetically affect the whole family, right? One way or the other, if it's severe yeah. enough, right? Yeah. And that is disrespectful to begin with, right? Like it's pretty hurtful overall. And then at the same time, I would think that, that would be enough for him to just be like, you know what, I, I've been caught. And for this to go this far and jeopardize my my wife and my kids' health also is an issue. And that would be enough to be like, oh, shit, you caught me. I'm done. But obviously, addiction is stronger than the actual reality of life. Right. right. And it didn't. that wasn't an issue for him. But hopefully, your mom's obviously smart enough to realize she loves him, but it's not worth her health. Right. Exactly. So exactly. that's yeah. a plus, at least. It was caught yeah. earlier. And, 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 and she's alive and, and healthy today. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was just one of the things I was thinking of earlier. I didn't mean to interrupt. If you, wanna, if you have no, more no. to add, I'm, I'm all for it. No, I've, I've been talking a lot. So if you have any questions, so, uh, yeah, I mean, so they're, 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 it still develops more. But if you have any questions up, up to this point. No, uh, no I'm going to hold my question until the end. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely the, the 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 climax of the story. I think um, the the next time I saw him was about two weeks later when he was still in the hospital. Um, and my mom and I went to visit him, and um, my mom was asking basically for the final time. She's like, "Will you stop this behavior that you've been doing?" And he was like, "No." He was like, "Me, king, you, queen." He he expressed to her that he still wanted to be married. He still wanted to come home and have dinner on the table ready for him but that he wanted to be able to do whatever he wanted to do during the day. And then he would come home and have his wife at night. And that's just what, uh, what he wanted. And my mom and I were both clear that like, if that's what you want, then like, we're not going to be part of your life. Right. And, and um, it took maybe five years before I saw him again after that day. And then what did your mom also leave at that point? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. she left yeah. and then, did she get back with together with him? Cause you said like, she, no, 
No. Okay. Not, so I misunderstood. Is, All right. Yeah. Th- this is 2012 now. Okay. Uh, and, and that's after he was in the hospital, that's when she moved ahead with the divorce and the separation. Gotcha. Okay. I, see, I misunderstood. I thought earlier that she was still taking care of him to this day. Oh, no, no, no. Got no, it. No, she, she's happily remarried. <laughs> good for her. Yeah, good for her. All right. So do you think that this has affected your ability in a positive way to create better music? Because you have a lot of, you have a lot of emotion to pull from, right? You have a lot of past trauma experiences to pull from. And I listen to your music. It's pretty emotional. You know, you've got a lot of stuff there. And granted, some of it is paid for music that you paid, you were paid to make a trailer for or like in a TV series or, you know, some sort of, you compose it for a reason. But there's mm-hmm. still, as an artist, emotion behind your, your craft, whether you're painting or whether you're creating music or anything. Do you feel as though this has helped that? I mean, 100%. And, and the, the biggest thing that came through this was understanding that I had emotions <laughs> that uh, had been very difficult for me to express in my life, especially the negative emotions, um, especially uh, because I never saw my father be uh, sad. Uh, be disappointed, be angry, be fearful. Um, any of these negative emotions, which are uh, pivotal to life and our understanding of our place in uh, what we want, um, understanding that I had to embrace those emotions so that I didn't turn into my dad was a major turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um and and he could see that too. There there's this one fucked up time um, before the before the the committal where we were all at home, kind of like after like one of these intervention things. And like he got out this this Adele album, this Adele nineteen. And he showed it to me, and he was like, like like you, like you, like emotion, like sad, like like parents. And he was trying to tell me that everything that was happening with the family was actually good for me because it would give me material to write about, <laughs> which in a fucked up way is, is true. Right. Right. And so I agree he... with, but it's totally an inappropriate thing to say and to tell your kid like, Hey, like, like me fucking up the entire family is actually a good thing for you because now you have more material like to work with for your career. Basically he's like, I did this for you. Right. It was yeah. a super fucked up way of, of of justifying his own actions, rationalizing his own actions in that light. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so to answer your question, the, the, the biggest thing that it, that it did was made me say, okay, I do not want to be my father. Um, there are some clear things that I can take away that he did that I'm not going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to have friends that I talk to about my life. The other thing, The other thing that I think got him to this point was that he didn't have anyone that he could vent to. He didn't have anyone that he could share with. He didn't have anyone that would check him and be like, Hey, are you sure you're doing the right thing here, Mike? Like maybe you should think twice about like maybe how your wife is feeling or how your family is feeling. He didn't have any close friends that he could speak to like that. So as this was all happening, I was aware of that. And I was aware of sharing all of this with my friends and being like, Hey, like we're all here for each other. And like, I need you guys right now because I need to vent. I need to talk about this because I do not want to end up with like my dad. Um, So one, having friends that I could uh, be not afraid to share anything with, that was huge. Two, 
having a passion in my life that I could do until the day that I died. I saw that his main passions in life were raising the family. And once my sister and I went off to school, work got way less interesting. His life got way less interesting and he didn't know what to do. He didn't have a something to push him forward to get excited by. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when his mind went to sex. Mm -hmm. And then three, just acknowledging that you can't outthink your emotions. You can't intellectualize your life so much that you plan a perfect ex existence where you don't have to experience negative emotion, um, which was his strategy um, throughout all of his life. And I don't think you can do that. And I think he thought you could. And then when he did have these overwhelming negative emotions that he couldn't talk to anybody about he couldn't express in any way that he didn't even have an intellectual capacity to understand the importance of that's just like what broke his brain and like turned him into a completely different person now do you think that he was expressing emotions that he wasn't expressing to the family and these negative emotions and like you know no, not negative emotions but normal emotions that humans have that he was trying to basically gamify the system and not have those. Do you think he was talking to the prostitutes about that? You know, was thinking he was like giving them That's a good question, um, like as friendships or as like a therapist. Like, yeah, I'm going to pay you as a therapist, but I'd rather pay you as a prostitute who talks to me, and then we have sex, and I leave, or however it worked. He he definitely referred to the women as his friends, mm -hmm. and my mom would constantly say, like, your friends aren't people that you pay to talk to. Right. Like That's true. your friends are people that you you talk to. Mm -hmm. Uh people that you pay to talk to are your employees or your contractors or right. whatever. Therapists. But but he yeah. right, but right, but therapist, right. Yeah. Um, but he constantly referred to them as his friends because he didn't have any other friends. And right. like, so like he needed to pay these people to be his friend. And right. that's a good question. I, I honestly don't know if he talked to any of these people about that stuff, but he couldn't really talk anyway. Well, and yeah, the second it, after the stroke, but prior to the stroke, he was still doing this before, right? And he still, right. he still wasn't expressing his emotions toward the family and wanted all the negative stuff that you get in a day with your life to just not exist. Right. So right. I, th I think though he was never really a verbal person. Okay. All that much anyway. Okay. Um, I don't think from a young age, he ever developed the, ability to talk through difficult emotion. Um, I think he very much had walls up that he built over years and years and years and years mm -hmm. um, until it got so disconnected from even acknowledging that there was a difficult emotion. It would really surprise me if he was able to talk about it with anybody. Um, I think that's one of the big things that uh, was not helping his situation was that even if he wanted to, the acknowledgement of those difficult emotions uh, wasn't there. It, he wasn't able to acknowledge them even. Right. So it didn't even exist to him. It wasn't, wasn't there. Right. To his intellectual brain, but to right. his, to his heart and to his gut where those emotions live and wherever else the emotions live in, in, in the organs and in his aura, whatnot, they were very much there and very much trying to get out. Um, but he couldn't but express he was it. preventing that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I originally you talked about his career was an actuary. I don't know what that is. So I figured I'd ask you now. Uh, numbers, math. Uh, so so he was, uh, it's high level math stuff. It's a lot of calculating when people die to figure out retirement plans for companies. So based on what I know from, this is very broad generalization. 
very broad, all right? I'm going to just throw this out there. From accountants and other really, really, really smart people, that there tends to be a, some sort of intersection scale, whatever you want to call it, of super smart and also somewhat autistic. Right. So if you have Asperger's, for example, where your brain is super smart, but also highly um, sensitive to outside scenarios, and also you can't really show emotions very well because they don't deal well with people, right? The emotions are, are difficult. Do you think, or have you ever thought that maybe your dad was on like a spectrum or is on a spectrum of some, some scale? Possibly. Yeah. Uh, possibly. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, 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 it's just, very possible. Just based on what you told me, like, you know, good with numbers, quiet to himself, not so good with emotions. Eh, it kind of leans that way. Yeah. But yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, maybe if he was growing up in this day and age, there there would have been more of a diagnosis on that. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So no, we'll never know. But right. just a thought. Right. And then, you know, I mean, th this story is 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 crazy and wild and um you know, it seems like your mom has moved on, which is good, and found herself a better, better life. And mm -hmm. that the the experience that you went through obviously has helped you deal with not deal, but create better music and help you, you know, be a better artist, if if you will. And and I would start that with creating a better life for myself, which then helps me become a better artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because like you said, you don't want to. You know what you don't want to be, right? You don't want to be that. You you've learned mm -hmm. that. And genetics are a bitch. They they get you. They really do. Mm -hmm. So you know, being able to say, okay, well, if I just let this human drive itself, yourself, like as a car, in the path that it's going to go on, without realizing that you're steering the wheel to your own path, then that car could have just drive right into addiction or any of these other issues that are more of a genetic problem versus a given problem that you created yourself. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, I mean, that helps a lot to be like, nope, not going to go down that road because I know where that leads, but I can go down this road, which will probably be better mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, which then brings me to my second part, part of this, and I'll let you go shortly. Um, is this, you know, like you said in your email, um, you know, your acknowledgement of emotion as well as the immense power of consciousness to alter your reality and meditation. So like how I'm a huge believer in that. That's one of the main reasons I think I'm still alive. Tell me your, your point of view and like how you got to that route. Oh man, it's, it's definitely related though, though less dramatically. Um, but it was just all, I've always been an, an inquisitive person. And I think uh, opening myself up to understanding my emotions more opened me up to uh, a lot of things about myself specifically opened me up to uh this area of the internet of uh that's uh, alien channeling or people channeling information that's from beyond this physical plane and so i got into that and found some really cool impactful amazing stuff that i could speak on for another few hours in a totally different route i'll definitely um, have to bring you on again in this podcast as we get further on. Cause I, I'm hundred percent sure. interested in that. For sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So like it, there, there are some interesting parallels. Like, like since all that happened with my dad, we, we have kind of, there's no longer a, a, a complete estrangement. There is some talking back and forth to finish the tease of, 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 of the email. 
most of his life now is watching YouTube videos about the flat earth and then uh, sending the family two, three hour long YouTube videos every few days about um, the lies of the government and the media and all that stuff and how the earth is really flat. Um, I actually saw, yeah, I, I saw him last weekend at the 4th of July. Um, he didn't get vaccinated, so he wasn't allowed in my uncle's house. That was my next question. Um, I was going to assume that he's just not into right. it because, you know, you got right. Microsoft injected into your arm or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. And and pretty much, you know, it had been over a year, probably been a year and a half since I'd seen him. But pretty much all he wanted to talk about was how the earth was flat. Um, and then I asked him some questions about it that about the sun being under the clouds and how you can see that and uh he didn't like my probing questions and so he kind of shut up after a little bit you can't um, yeah. <laughs> from but, what i found, logic ruins everybody's <laughs> thinking about the flat earth theory if you give them actual logic they're like oh wait well hmm. yeah. so, so th there there was a moment before i left for la he stopped by um and we and we had a little meeting and he was trying to show me some flat earth videos and i was like dad like i i don't want to see any like like i'm like i'm good like mm -hmm. I've, I've seen all that i need to see and like i'm not convinced and he was like well well he expressed to me then he wanted me to share what what my views were on on the universe uh, and i was like well you know as crazy as the flat earth is like i think my views are even crazier that like we live in an infinite universe that is multidimensional in nature, that our past can change just as much as our future can change, that our consciousness uh, is part of a broad spectrum of consciousnesses in a universe that is teeming with life, that aliens we will discover in a few years, that they are talking to us, that uh, that that and, and that consciousness is what creates life and that life doesn't create consciousness. Um, and you blew his mind. <laughs> and he was in there is like, Okay, that was fair basically enough. his response. Yeah, and I thought enough. it was a funny moment because, like, for all the crazy stuff that 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 he's into, like, I think I'm into equally crazy stuff, and I think I'm equally just as right. I'm not going to send my family two and three hour long YouTube videos every few days about my views, but mm -hmm. but I realized the comedy in that he thinks he's so right because he's watching these YouTube videos, and I deeply believe what I believe because of youtube and other resources <laughs> like that sure that to an average person uh might seem just as crazy mm -hmm. i mean in, in this at this point until you get your own rocket ship and go to space and see that the earth is either flat or round we'll never know we just have to believe what other people have told us mm -hmm. and then simultaneously until a man comes a man I, air quotes someone comes <laughs> from space and tells us otherwise again we'll just have to assume maybe we are from interstellar travelers or whatever and you know or we're not we don't we just don't know you know mm -hmm. no idea I, I personally think that you're probably closer to the reality of where human existence is and like infinite worlds and because space is infinite right there's just so much vastness out there that we just don't know and to say that it doesn't exist is it's very small thinking so that's what i think yeah, yeah, that's what I feel. It is a possibility. We just don't know. <laughs> so um, on that note, I, I don't want to take up any more time. I really appreciate you know you sharing this ridiculous story and also how it sure. has helped you, even though it was shit to live through. And you know, I, I also want to be able to give you the opportunity to like pitch yourself and pitch your job and pitch what you do and where people can listen to your music and all this fun stuff. So 
by all means, what, yeah. where can people um, find you? Uh, Instagram.com slash Prokopo or Prokopo.com, P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W.com. Um, I'm really focusing on film music these days, um, but I also have a solo project called Will Post that's got some that's got a lot of decent following with that as well but i'm not really doing that as much as really trying to do the film score stuff these days i'm also in a band called i fight dragons and we're doing a little tour this fall we have a chicago show as well um so all all kinds of stuff nice like i said i just really appreciate you sharing your story with me a complete stranger and then also the strangers that are going to listen to this so of course my pleasure yeah yeah, thanks for time this can be helpful to someone and 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 thank you for what you're doing as well and, and talking about your experience. And like, I think that's really valuable. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's needed. Thanks. And um, I appreciate that feedback. So thank you so much. And if you know anybody else who wants to, that would be great for the show. Just cool. email me. Sounds good. All right, man. Take care. Thanks again. Thanks, Josh. Take care. See you. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. So pretty wild story. So that's Bill. I've never met Bill before. He came recommended from a past podcast guest named May. She was episode two. Um, so Bill Prokopo, hell of a story guys got, huh? I mean, uh, his family dynamic there was pretty messed up for a while. And, but because of what he had to live through and because of what he went through was able to use that pain and use that aggravation and trouble an emotion that he experienced to make better art, basically, right? Also learning what he doesn't want to become because he saw it. He saw what his dad is now and what his dad put the family through, fully knowing that could be his future, decided, nah, not going to be my future. I have other things in, in mind and went a different route and will hopefully stay a different route and nowhere near get as bad as his dad was or do any of the things his dad did. And then simultaneously, he has this amazing musical outlet and he is making music for TV shows and movies, has multiple bands going on. So he's a busy guy composing and and is able to get that emotion out in a very practical way. So thank you, Bill. Hey, if you or anybody you know wants to be on the podcast and you think that your story can help other people, reach out to me. Let me know. Overcomingtheodds.co. Hit the contact button and send me an email. All right. Be well. Be good to each other. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Gaming VPN. If you don't have a VPN, you should definitely download Gaming VPN for, well, gaming and streaming. Stay secure online all the time. It's only available on iOS. Go to gamingvpn.tech. This has been a Robot Mouse production. If you like what you heard, please give me a five-star rating and tell your friends about the show. All right, have a great day.